Uh, good morning. I won't forget that the bumper video will play next time. <laughs> but good morning and welcome to Convergent Church. It's wonderful to be with you all and to just sing the praises of God and to be with his church. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, Pastor Dan and I work other jobs outside of the church. Pastor Dan works at uh, AZ Business Solutions, um, and I work at the Shawasi Family Court as a youth specialist. Now, you might be asking, Jameson, what is a youth specialist? And uh, would it surprise you that when I first started the job, I had no idea what a youth specialist was either? It's a very vague, vague term. So about a decade ago, I sat down at a desk um, at the Shawasi County Family Court, and I accepted a job to be a youth specialist. The problem was that when I accepted it, I accepted it without a job description. I was young, uh, I was about 23 at the time. I was excited, I was full of fire. I was ready to make a difference in the life of children. But it became pretty apparent on the first day of the job that I had literally no idea what I was doing. After about a week, um, I realized that I didn't even know what the purpose of the job was. Like, what is a youth specialist? I didn't know what I was called to do. I didn't know who exactly I was called to help. I didn't know what the day-to-day -day responsibilities of this youth specialist thing uh, were and what needed to be completed. I didn't even know who I answered to. I didn't know what my purpose was. I remember going to my supervisor, Steve, at the time and saying, hey, Steve, like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here. I have no idea what needs to get done. I have no idea what I need to actually fulfill that job. And even if I had any idea what I was doing or what I needed, I have no idea who to go and ask for those things. And I remember with a reassuring smile, Steve stood up and he put his hand on my shoulder. I eventually found out that this person was my boss. So, but he stood up, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Jameson, don't worry. I'll make sure that you have everything you need to get the job done. Now, sometimes in the Christian life, we can feel like that young 23-year-old Jameson. We're not sure exactly what our purpose is. We're unaware of what we should be doing. We're anxious about what we're facing. We're unclear of what the path ahead is going to look like. We're unsure what we need. And even if we did know what we needed, we're not really sure where to go and get it. But today, as we read through Psalm 23, I pray that you see that we have a Savior who echoes those same words that Steve, my boss, did on that day. A Savior who's saying to us, don't worry, I'll make sure you have all you need to get the job done. Today, we're starting a new series uh, entitled Summer in the Psalms. Dan and I just really wanted a series that was going to be accessible for everyone. That would be an encouraging season for us in this busy summer, yet was challenging for us. A series that could really tackle questions that all Christians face and that would give us room to maybe preach on some topics that didn't fall within uh, the books of the other books of the Bible. And so today, we are starting a new series. We turned to the Psalms. And today I'd like to answer this question with Psalm 23. Does my life have a purpose? And if so, what is it? If you turn with me to Psalm 23, I'd like to read that Psalm in its entirety as we begin. Psalm 23 says this. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Praise God. Here's our first point for this morning. Jesus provides. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, as we've read, this psalm is a psalm of David. As a young man, David would have spent much time out in the fields as a shepherd over the flocks of his father, Jesse. David would have fed the sheep. He would have watered the sheep. He would have guided these sheep of his father's pasture into places where they needed to eat. He would have protected them from bears and from lions or anyone who would have attempted to steal his father's sheep. He would have braved the summer heat and the frigid desert nights. He would have scoured the countryside to track down any sheep who would have gone astray, carefully leading them back into the fold of God. And he would have counted each and every single one of his father's sheep as precious to him. And as David was thinking about his young days as a shepherd... And he thought about the way that God cared for him. It was natural for David to see God as the shepherd of his life and David as a sheep in the flock of God. Now, I'm not sure what you guys know about sheep, but sheep are not the smartest animals. Like if you go to YouTube today and type up the words dumb sheep, you will will see some awesome, awesome clips Sheep are constantly being rescued from hazards and pulled out of ditches only to jump directly into them. Sheep are prone to wandering away from the flock and wandering away from the shepherd. Sheep are skittish. They can faint at the slightest sign of danger or at times when danger is actually present, they're too stupid to realize that they're even in danger. Sheep are easy prey for predators. Sheep need a shepherd to provide for them and to protect them. And that is the primary role of the shepherd, to provide for the sheep. Now, like David over the flocks of his father, Jesse, Jesus provides and shepherds the flock of his father, God, the church. That's us. Jesus has provided the church with that which we could never provide for ourselves. He says this in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he's provided for his church. He's provided for his people an enduring sacrifice that pays for our sins and allows us access into the fold of God. Jesus has literally purchased the sheep of God's flocks. In verse 9, in the same chapter, he says this. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus, by the blood that he spilled for us, redeems the sheep and purchases us back into God's family. And he knows us intimately. Lastly, he says this in the same chapter, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them 
and they follow me. I'd just like to start today by noting that as we read through Psalm 23, the promises and the provisions that we're going to get into today are for those who are saved and redeemed, the sheep of God's pastures, those whose wool has been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who claim Jesus as their shepherd savior, those who do not simply say the Lord is a shepherd or, or even say the Lord is a good shepherd, but for all those who would say Jesus is my good shepherd. That is the cry of our hearts. And David begins this psalm with a very confident statement. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I am very uh, keen and prone to wanting things. I often don't have the ability to see the difference between what is an actual need in my life and what is simply a want in my life. And this word, want, does not denote something that's deeply desired, but something that is sorely needed. And as the sheep of God's pastures, we often don't know what we need. Regardless of the circumstance, David is resolved to look to the shepherd who is Jesus to provide whatever he needs for him. David is ultimately confident that no matter what he needs, and even if he doesn't know what he needs, his needs will be met because the Lord is leading his life and has called him his own. And I'm wondering if anyone in this room ever struggles to believe that God actually claims them as a member of his family, as a member of his flock, or maybe struggles with actually believing that God knows what you need and will provide for you. Does anybody struggle with that? I struggle with that most days in my life. I think it's something that if we're honest, every Christian struggles with in the Christian life and in many seasons, certainly from time to time. Paul spoke about this when he spoke to the Roman church. He said this. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give him all things? And so here's Paul's logic. Paul's logic is this. If our Father God was so gracious as to give us the greatest gift he possibly could, literally the most precious thing that he had, the life and the holiness and the righteousness of his own son, if he would give Jesus for us, how will he not also give us everything else we need along with Jesus? Paul's logic is very sound. If God's willing to give such a gift, will he not also provide for us? Paul also told the Philippians this. He said, he said, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And here's something that we need to understand. When we have needs, God meets those needs primarily through our shepherd, Jesus. It's in giving Jesus that God has given us everything that we need. We see that God is committed to faithfully providing. And David is very specific. Throughout this psalm, he gives us four things that God is committed to providing for us. So here's our second point. The second point is this. Jesus produces peace in us. He gives us peace. David says this in verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. When Jesus was still with his disciples, he told them this in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you, 
My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Did you know that Jesus has a perfect pulse on what's going on in your life? Did you know that even when you don't know what you need and you're not sure what you're struggling with, even when you're not sure what you're feeling, that Jesus knows exactly what's going on with you? He's the good shepherd who knows intimately every sheep in the flock of God. But notice David's choice of words here. He says the shepherd makes me lie down. He says he makes me lie down. As sheep in God's flock, we often do a poor job of finding rest and peace on our own. It's been noted by many preachers, preachers that are, that are much better than me, that there's four reasons why a shepherd would need to make his sheep lie down. Four things that a shepherd must remove from the picture so that his sheep can rest and enjoy peace. And the first is this, sheep must be free from fear. Now, if a sheep senses that if there's some sort of danger or there's something going on around them that would cause them harm, they struggle to relax, lie down, and be at peace. And, and much like literal sheep, we experience things that produce anxiety and fear and worry and just general feelings of being overwhelmed in us. The Bible gives us good news. He says that God's perfect love casts out all fear. That's when we know that the shepherd loves us and cares for us and is willing to provide for us and knows us intimately that fear can flee from our lives and we can rest even in the presence of danger. Secondly, sheep must be free from flies. These are biting insects which might distract or agitate or annoy the sheep. And like sheep, many of us deal with little things that bring constant nuisance to our lives. They're not, you know, big dangers. They're not huge things that when they sting us, they cause great harm. But they're annoying enough to distract us from keeping our eyes on the shepherd. Can anybody give me an amen for that one? Just little annoying flies that buzz around and keep us going like this and we can't put our eyes where they need to be. But it's only once the sheep feel free from these constant distractions around them that they can feel free to relax and rest in the presence of the shepherd. Thirdly, it's noted that they must be free from friction. And this is relational and emotional strife with others. You see, one of the main reasons why a sheep will struggle to lie down is because they feel threatened by another sheep in the flock. They feel threatened by another sheep in God's pastures. And much like sheep, many of us fail to find rest because our relationships are out of whack. We feel threatened, pressed, and the the relations that we have with our wives and our children and our friends or perhaps even other people in the church lack the shepherd's peace. Or perhaps for many of us, we just did church partnership this morning, perhaps for some of us, we have an open wound of, of previous church trauma that hasn't healed. We can't relax around other Christians because Christians have hurt us in the past. 
Lastly, we must be free from finding food. Simply put, a hungry, hungry sheep is a restless sheep. Anybody get an amen for that? Yeah. Anybody deal with hangriness? That's like my default mode. You know, sheep will only lie down when they're well fed, when they're no longer feeling that need to constantly graze. And, and much like sheep, we cannot rest when our souls are lacking satisfaction, when there's something in us far beyond physical hunger that simply says, I'm not satisfied, whether that's with our relationships or our life or our, our roles in the church or perhaps our job, whatever it is, we lack satisfaction just like sheep and we can't rest. The good news is that our shepherd provides and he's dedicated to giving us all that we need. Yet often when we feel overwhelmed or, or suffering relational issues or we're plagued by anxiety or we're simply just not satisfied with our life, we won't take the time that we need to rest. We'll set our most basic needs aside because everything else, the hunger of our souls, the friction that we're dealing with in relationships, the flies distracting us, the fear of what might happen, it all feels so pressing that it feels like we cannot simply stop and rest. So we set aside things like sleep and exercise and a healthy diet and healthy relationships and good counsel to help us deal with the things that we're facing. And so this is when the shepherd must make us lie down. He will do what he must to make sure that we find the rest that we ultimately need. Now, I remember when my son Israel was born. We uh, had just purchased our first home and we were frantically trying to get all of our belongings into our house before Israel was born. Chelsea's literally like a couple days away from giving birth. And we have this new home and we're trying to get everything in there. And at this time I was serving at a different church and the church came together and they helped us a ton. But still, it was multiple days of carrying heavy things and moving things in and out of the house. And honestly, looking back at that time, I had so much going on. I was busy with uh, my leadership role in the church. I was working at the youth center. I was in college at the time, taking night classes, and I was trying to make this house a home for my family. But I didn't Listen to the shepherd who was telling me, Jameson, you are burnt out. You are utterly exhausted. You have nothing left to give. The good news is that we eventually got all of our stuff moved into the house, but the bad news is the next day I threw my back out. I was 27 years old with a bulging slip disc in my lower back. Not something that should happen to a 27-year-old. The Lord literally made me lie down. He quite literally made me lie down. And for two weeks, I lay on my face in our guest room, getting real acquainted with the carpet. I feel like I can still taste it. And I, I, I couldn't do anything. I was taking muscle relaxers and Valium. I was trying to get this bulging disc to go back where it needed to. And I just veritably stayed with my face to the ground on the carpet for like 14 days. 
but I was alone with God for 14 days. God made me lie down. I remember that even through the pain of what I was facing, I remember being at such peace, knowing that the reason why I was on the floor, face down, alone in that room, eating carpet, was because that's where God wanted me to be. That's where the shepherd was calling me to rest. And I enjoyed one of the best seasons of personal communion with God that I've ever had on that carpet floor. He led me someplace quiet so I could hear his voice and experience the peace and rest that I was not willing to give myself. Can anybody relate? I wasn't willing to give myself and so the shepherd made me lie down. You know, have you ever gotten sick or burnt out and exhausted and felt like I just can't do anything else? Like I have to stop, I have to wait, I have to rest. And when you did, you found that even though there were still things going on around you, where you were sitting was surprisingly green. It was surprisingly quiet. The grass was surprisingly soft. You may not have realized it at the time, but that was the shepherd making his sheep lie down and rest. This is what he does. The shepherd was causing you to rest. And so I just want to ask the question, in this season right now, are you listening to the voice of the shepherd who wants you to rest? And I'm just going to be honest. We, we practice gospel transparency here. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not always listening to the voice of the shepherd that's saying, Jameson, stop. Jameson, rest. Jameson, look to me to provide. You know, Sometimes the greatest act of worship that we can bring to God is not another great idea, it's not another strategy, it's not another solution, it's not another four hours of work. It's stopping and sitting down and saying, I'm not God, you are. So the, the greatest act of worship is for us to stop and say, I can't do it, I'm gonna rest in you. And the shepherd makes us lie down and rest. Look at another thing that David says the shepherd provides for us. He says that Jesus preserves us in his providence. Verse three, he says, he restores my soul. Shepherd is good. He restores those who are broken and weary. Not only does he provide for our physical and emotional and spiritual needs, but he restores our souls. He renews our spirits even as everything around us seems to be truly chaos and seems to be truly out of whack. When we're suffering or, or we're sick or we're experiencing depression or we're fighting inner discouragement or maybe we're struggling through a season of sin Jesus promises to preserve and restore us because he's a good shepherd. You know, the picture painted by this word restore is like the mending or the realignment of a broken bone. Has anybody broken a bone in here? I've broken four, broken this arm twice. That's what Jesus is doing when he's restoring, he's mending us, those things that are broken, and he's bringing us back into wholeness, and he's realigning in us what is off balance with him. David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. 
You know, even when life is chaos, Jesus often takes us by the hand and he leads us down paths that he, as our shepherd, has determined for us so that we might be restored and made whole in him, even as we don't know how to do so. Sheep have a great tendency to go astray, so much so that Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53, 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own Way. One of my favorite hymns is the hymn, Come Thou Fount. And the last verse says these words. They're the words that resonate in my soul every time I sing it. The hymnist writes, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I'll be honest with you, when my life is out of whack and I'm stumbling through sin and I'm not walking with God by the Spirit and following Him as closely and I'm I'm needing restoration, I'm often the last person to know. Dan's looking at your boy's life just going like, Jesus, help him. (laughs) Chelsea's like, Jesus, come get your son right now. Right? My kids are praying at the dinner table. Uh, Jesus, it'd be really nice if you could like bring our dad back. Like, like. That's what it's like. I'm astray, I'm wandering, I don't, I don't even know. But the shepherd remains faithful. He restores me. He does not let me run headlong into destruction, but instead chooses, sovereignly chooses and leads and directs my life down a path that will end in my restoration, even though that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. He's good. One of the most famous verses in the Bible explains this very thing. Romans 8.28, we quote it all the time. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, I began with that question this morning. Does my life have a purpose? And if so, what is it? Here we see the purpose that God has for our lives, why God purchases us into the flock of God, why he provides for us, why he produces peace, why he preserves his sheep. David says he leads me in paths of righteousness for what? For his namesake. And so when we ask the question, does my life have a purpose? And if so, what is it? The answer is yes, my life's purpose is to exalt God's name and further his namesake. That's the purpose of my life. And that's why God cares for me. God causes everything to work towards the restoration and the goodness of those called according to this purpose to preserve and exalt his namesake. You might ask, well, you know, Pastor Jameson, what do you mean by namesake? It's very simple. God's namesake is simply God's reputation on earth. It's God's reputation in the world. God's reputation on earth is the purpose of my life. You know, some people get frustrated with this idea because it paints God out to be this sort of self-centered narcissist who's only concerned about one thing, his glory. And I would say that God is primarily concerned about his glory. His glory is the most important thing to him, but it's not the only thing that he's concerned about. He's still deeply concerned about his sheep. Why? Because it's in God's best interest to lead and care and provide and preserve his sheep because we represent his namesake in the world. When people think about God, who do they often think about? 
Us. Think about the church. When you want to know whether or not a shepherd is a good shepherd, you don't look at him, you look at his sheep. How well is he caring for those who are in his care? And God is assuring that everything in our lives is working both primarily for his glory, but also for our good. God's provision for us, his leading and his care for us is intrinsically linked to how those in the world, those outside the field of God, those outside the flock of God, view him. And God jealously guards his reputation. He's unwilling to let his reputation be disgraced. And that's good news for us because God's not unwilling to be seen as a bad shepherd. That means he is totally unwilling to fail to care for his sheep. He will never fail to care for us because we represent his namesake. He will always restore and lead his people in his providence. He will never be considered a poor shepherd. And because he is not a poor shepherd, he will never fail us. Number four, Jesus promises us the protection of his presence. David writes this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a scripture that's often read at funerals, but it's very much a verse for those of us who are still in the land of the living. David describes this valley as the valley of the shadow of death. Notice that he doesn't say it's the valley of death, it's the valley of the shadow of death. It's important because the shadow of something is not the substance of something. Shadows cannot hurt me. The shadow of a lion cannot attack me. The shadow of a sword cannot slice me. The shadow of a cloud cannot drench my life and the shadow of death cannot kill me. For those of us who have Jesus as our shepherd, and are being used for God's namesake, he promises that he will be with us as we walk through these shadows, that he will be with us as we walk through these valleys, and he will not leave us alone, he will not leave us to perish there. You see, something we can learn from this psalm is that no matter where we're at, and no matter how low we are, and no matter how broken our life seems, and no matter what we're facing right now, the shepherd is with us in the low places. He's with us in the low places. And I don't know who that's for, but somebody needs to hold on to that. The shepherd is with us in the lowest places. For us, that means we can face the low moments. We can face the broken moments. We can face the most painful moments without fear. Why? Because we're not alone in the valley. So we're not alone there. He will not forsake us at life's lowest points. Now, the interesting thing about valleys is that they're straight lines. Often valleys go straight through something, and often you have a mountaintop on either side. And here's the reality about the valleys of life. You're either in the valley, or you're getting ready to go into the valley, or you're coming out of the valley. We all walk through valleys at some point. 
And so whether we're on the mountaintop, with a low place, we can know that God is going to get us through. David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's talking about two tools that a shepherd would use as he was guiding his sheep and as he was looking over the flocks that were in his care. Now, that first tool is a rod. It's literally like a truncheon or a club or a stick that when things came against the flock, the shepherd would quickly run towards and he'd begin to beat them away with his stick. It's interesting to me that the stick was meant for those who are trying to harm the flock of God. The rod is for those who are coming against the flock of God, but the staff, the shepherd's crook, is for the sheep. The shepherd's crook was a staff that he would use to gently guide the sheep where they needed to go. And he would hook them by the neck and he would gently lead them further into the valley. Notice that David says, I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. It's so important for us to understand that when we're going through the valley of the shadow, that there is an end to the valley. God does not bring us into the valley to lead us there. And it's wonderful that Jesus is so faithful to protect us that he's not able to simply protect us from the threats that come against us. But with his staff, he's even able to protect us from ourselves and going wayward in the valley now, Winston Churchill famously said this. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. If you're going through hell, keep going. And the shepherd walks with us. We go with Christ as our shepherd, always through the valley. We're never alone. Point number five. Jesus prepares for us a paradise. In the first four verses of this psalm, David is picturing God as a shepherd who guards and protects and provides and gently leads his sheep. Now David shifts from seeing God as a shepherd to seeing God as a host. He says this in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, David, that shepherd boy who spent so many years out in the pastures would eventually become king over the nation of Israel. And he would have had many opportunities to host lavish banquets that served up the best food that could come from miles and miles away. Banquets like many of us could not even imagine. And David likens God's protection, Jesus' protection, to him being a gracious host who once he has led us through the valley, once he has moved us through darkness, sets up a table in the presence of our enemies that we may feast in his presence. Once he's seen us safely through, he brings us to rest at the table. And I love it. David points this picture that God prepares a table even as our enemies are snarling and cackling and laughing and trying to overtake us, but they can't overtake us because we're sitting safe at the table with the Lord. It's a beautiful picture. And at this table, Jesus anoints us with oil. He lavishes blessings upon us. He wraps us in rich, royal robes. He fills our cups to overflowing in the presence of Jesus, his provision, 
as our host, we can see that we have no lack. And so often in my life, I'm prone to looking around and saying, God, I don't have enough. I don't have what I need. I don't even know what I need. And my father takes my eyes and he points me to Jesus and he says, Jameson, do you not see that your cup is overflowing? Do you not see that you have everything you need? You see, at the time it was customary when someone would come into your home that you would give them something to drink. Usually it was either water or wine, but often even the most hospitable people only had a finite amount of both. Living in a desert, there's not an infinite amount of water and there's not an infinite amount of wine. But in the New Testament, Jesus likens himself to these two things. We often see that Jesus says that he is the new wine and that he is living water. Jesus is so infinite, he's so able to bless us that the picture that this psalm paints is this habitual blessing in the presence of Christ that cannot be contained in even the largest cup that we could bring. It's running everywhere. There's too much to be held. It doesn't stop. And David is confident that this blessing is going to continue. And that's not based on our goodness or our right, or us deserving to be blessed. It's based on the kindness and the good nature of Jesus, our host, who continually pours out more and more and more and more of himself. I feel like I'm preaching to my own soul this morning. A soul that's saying, when you're tired and you're weary, don't run to these other things. Don't run to things that ultimately will not satisfy. Don't run to food. Don't run to entertainment. Don't run to lust. Don't run to the affections of other people. Run to the table and feast with the Lord. And let him pour his blessing out upon you that you might sit at the table with him and your soul would be satisfied. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David is confident that God will not stop blessing him. Why? Because David's life is being used for God's glory and God's namesake. Do you know that even when you're not aware of it and you don't see it and you don't acknowledge it, God is still pouring out blessings upon each and every one of us? David is confident that he'll experience God's goodness in all seasons. In any circumstance, whether he's in the mountaintop or he's sitting alone on the valley floor, he will receive an abundance of God's mercy. And this is precisely what the church has, has received. All those in Christ have received this same abiding mercy, a goodness that follows us wherever we go because Christ is with us wherever we go. Through the power of his spirit, Jesus has the ability to bless us no matter where we are. He can pop up a table in the middle of the wilderness and he can cause us to feast in the presence of our enemies. David finishes this psalm. He says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And church, this is a picture of heaven. David is saying, God is so committed to the purpose of glorifying himself in my life and through his care for me 
that one day he is going to make sure that I dwell in his presence forever, continually. You know, at the time when David would have written this psalm, the place where God's presence dwelled was in the temple. We've talked about the temple many times. And God had limited his access to that place. The place where people would come to be in God's presence was the temple. At times, sometimes, he met people outside of it. But that was the place if people wanted to come and be near God. And David looks forward to a day when he will be in God's full presence. He'll be drinking in the hospitality and the blessing and the goodness of God, who is his gracious host forever. And church, this is our assurance. This is our assurance. I know for many of you, we're transitioning from school to summer and life is hectic and everything is just seeming out of control, but this is our assurance that there's an end to the struggle. One day, one day, each and every one of us who call on the name of the Lord, who look to Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, you are my good shepherd, we will rest in his presence. Can we fathom because of God's faithfulness and because of his promises, how safe we are in his presence? Can we go there to think about how much he cares for us and how devoted he is to lavishing his love upon us and visiting us with mercy and with kindness and protection? He's gonna do it, church. He's gonna do it. Christ is going to lead each and every sheep of God's flock safely to heaven to be with him forever without fail. Listen to what he says in John 10, verses 27 and 28. He says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. But listen to this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one snatch them out of my hand. Let that be a balm for your soul. Those who are looking at their life and going, I feel like I'm just going astray. I feel like I have no control. I feel like I don't even understand what's happening. Here is our assurance. No one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. Not, not Satan not our families, not our friends, not the world. Jesus is holding us. He is the good shepherd. And so let your souls brim with confidence this morning. Let us be encouraged that Jesus holds us. And he has us. He will not forsake us. He will be with us. And he is more dedicated to our good than we could ever be or than anyone else in this room could ever be. Church, he's holding us. Let that be our confidence. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we're thankful. Lord, I'm thankful for the valleys. Because it's in the valleys where you prove your faithfulness to me. It's in the dark night of the soul when we're facing the shadows that threaten to harm us, Lord, that you walk with us. 
And I'm thankful for your commitment to provide everything that we could possibly need. Lord, help us in this season of life to rest, to sit, to get quiet, to be still and know that you are God. To realize that you know what we need even before we ask it. And when we ask, you are faithful to grant it. Lord, that even when we are going astray, you are faithful to lead us where we need to be so that your name can be exalted and that goodness can flow from our lives. Lord, we need you. We need a greater abundance, a greater awareness and being able to see that the shepherd is with us. Lord, may we be a people that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not fear. The Lord is my shepherd, I will be able to rest. The Lord is my shepherd, I will overflow with confidence. The Lord is my shepherd, I will look to heaven for everything. Lord, may your spirit increase in us that we would be confident in you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.